podcasten Stadens första vykort ifrån den USA-resa som vi är ute på just nu. Vi tänkte att vi skulle delge er små skärvor av det vi ser och upplever under den här resan innan vi släpper de långa, riktiga programmen längre fram i augusti. Och vi börjar i Baltimore. Vi träffade arkitekten William Holman som håller på att skapa ett makerspace i en övergiven industribyggnad från 1920. Ett makerspace är traditionellt en plats där konstnärer kan hyra lokaler, låna verktyg och nätverka den kreativa stadens anda. Men William Holman vill någonting mer med sitt makerspace och ni ska snart få höra hur hans vision ser ut. Hans makerspace ligger på Green Mount Avenue i Baltimore. Green Mount Avenue går från norr till söder rakt igenom staden och på den västra sidan av Green Mount Avenue ligger områden som hör till den mer stabila centrala staden med sina lite högre fastighetspriser och sina lite högre inkomster. På den östra sidan av Green Mount Avenue ligger det fattiga och delvis faktiskt övergivna East Baltimore. Greenmount Avenue skär alltså rakt igenom dessa stadsdelar och William Holmans makerspace hamnar mitt emellan. Den händelse som vi refererar till här som gör vår vistelse i Baltimore i maj, juni särskilt ja, spänd ska jag inte säga men särskilt laddad är förstås de upplopp som var i staden efter mordet på den 25-åriga Freddie Gray som dog i följderna av polisövervåld. De händelserna kastade Baltimore på sätt och vis tillbaka till en tid som, man, som staden kanske trodde att man hade lämnat bakom sig men som kom att prägla nästan alla samtal och alla möten som vi hade i Baltimore när vi var där. Podcasten Staden är ett samarbete mellan Sveriges arkitekter och tidskriften Arkitektur. Och under den här resan genom USA så har vi också stöd från Akademikernas A-kassa. Akademikernas A-kassa är som ni hör på namnet en A-kassa för akademiker. Så är du akademiker och vill ha trygghet och frihet, gå med för 90 kronor i månaden. Men nu till William Holman från Baltimore- den 4 juni 2015. Meeting up with you here this morning was sort of trying to get hold of the the way Baltimore where Baltimore might be going in, in the future concerning its past and its pretty recent past as well. I mean as as sitting sort of the shadow of, of, of its surrounding cities but also in the shadow of its of its history in many ways yeah, so yeah. well you guys you guys picked a hell of a time to come to town yeah. other trains have come yeah so the train you came in on is right on the other side of that fence right here yeah it's Okay, mm-hmm. well a little quick background on what yeah. we're doing with this yeah. this property and my job and, and in general. Basically this site is the hinge for four neighborhoods pinwheel around us, which are Midtown Belvedere to the southwest, Greenmount West to the northwest, Oliver to the northeast, mm-hmm. and Johnson Square 
to the southeast. And all three of those neighborhoods are historically terribly disinvested. We can, I could drive you through parts of Johnson Square and Oliver, but they're just on the other side of the cemetery, there are some blocks where there are no inhabited row homes. So Greenmount West looked like that maybe 20 years ago, but has been benefiting from some investment from local universities and its place within the arts district and some other things. It's had an influx of people and there's a lot of development going on. A lot of the uh, row homes are being rehabbed, you know, city arts, some new buildings are going up. So Johnson Square and Oliver have not seen that wave of redevelopment and are two... People of Johnson's. Johnston Square, Johnston. yeah, with a, with a T. Dem- demographically, they look very similar to Sandtown Winchester, which is where the Baltimore uprising occurred uh, a month ago, um, in terms of unemployment rates, rates of college or even high school attainment, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we see this space as a bridge between kind of developing or, dare I say, gentrifying neighborhoods to the north and the west and some other neighborhoods that haven't seen any economic benefit to the east and the south. And we think this place can be a platform for a lot more things than makerspaces traditionally are. So we're going to be run as a nonprofit. Uh, Most makerspaces are roughly half this size, half to a third of this size. Very few of them offer anything outside of kind of a paying customer regime, so classes, studio space, and access to tools. So we'll have those things. We want to layer on top of that youth development programs, workforce development programs, and community programs. So that by accessing funding from the state, workforce development partners, other people that are already doing job training. We can leverage this platform to help people find employment or develop further on skills they may already have or find that entrepreneurial spark within them for a very low cost. They can access tools and studio space and launch a business out of here. Mm. Um, Does that mean that the business that all these, I mean, it's not only sort of directed towards art and and, 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 and that kind of business it can be I mean you can develop whatever skill that you need to, to, to find a job or, or to, to start a business it doesn't have to be art I mean it yes yeah that's the hope that um, you know uh, startups technology based stuff or mm. just teach somebody to weld they could get a job in a muffler shop or an auto body shop you know that sort of thing um we talk a lot about our immediately adjacent neighborhoods just because (coughs) there's a there's a lot of need for some kind of services in these neighborhoods the city's closed down the rec centers they poorly maintain the parks they've basically hollowed out all the public space in the city and poured those resources into policing and other things. Um, and that's a debate for another time, but we, we think we can be a third way between 
kind of traditional government programs, traditional schools, and we can kind of be in the middle and access people that have fallen through the cracks of all those different things. Mm. Um, but we hope to draw from all over the city. We're not we're not drawing any kind of border whatsoever. No. So you, you say that you, you you're trying to like push the boundaries for what a makerspace can be and can do. So you are you kind of entering a little bit of unknown territory when it comes to how it will work and what will happen. Oh, absolutely. So over the last year, I've just been studying other makerspaces. I've visited a lot of them up and down the East Coast and a few other ones. Um, as a concept, Makerspace has been around for maybe 60 or 70 years, shared workspaces of various kinds, but like that term and kind of the commercialization of it and stuff has only really been around for about 10 years. Mm. And so in that 10 years, a lot of these places have failed, a lot of them have turned over. Um, there's just a lot of churn. There's a lot of different ideas about how these places should be run and best practices haven't necessarily bubbled to the top. And so we, we have a couple places that we feel more confident modeling on, but it's just a difficult business to convince people to, to survive solely on user fees is a difficult business given mm -hmm. the amount of upfront investment. This is a $10 million project at the yeah. end of the day. Um, what, what would the uh, membership cost? So we're looking at about $125 for access to all the tools and then $100 for a workspace. So you can look for a month. So if you look at it for one way, if you're an entrepreneur trying to start a business, $225 a month is a very low barrier to entry um, for space, tools, and access to a creative community that can help you. Looked at in another way, if you're living in Johnson Square, um, are underemployed, working 20 hours a week, having trouble keeping your cell phone and a bus pass and all these other balls in the air, $125 a month seems kind of absurd. So we're trying to think through a lot of different tiers of membership so, for instance, I mostly am a woodworker. I don't need access to all seven fabrication studios. So we want to make an a la carte version. So maybe for thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month, you can pick the shop that you want to do. You know. So we're trying to position ourselves for jobs that are available in Baltimore now and growing sectors of Baltimore's economy that nobody else is training for and accessing those pools workforce development money is a is a big part of our so strategy. it's kind of it's kind of shortcutting the the, the education uh, system sort of letting people who haven't attended I mean uh, college or high school that, that they can take sort of the shortcut so to say through you and get a job well in a, in a way and you know no disrespect to the school system its problems have been well documented in the press and you know there's a lot of people out there that the school system has has failed mm. and you know we we have an opportunity to kind of hopefully be a safety net yeah. for people that fall through these these 
mega bureaucratic systems that aren't nimble enough to react to where the economy is going, where education is going, where future skills are going. Um, our view of makerspace in general is that they're a new kind of neighborhood institution like libraries, churches, schools, things that have existed in, in civic infrastructure for, you know, hundreds of years. And, and these type of shared spaces like the tool library, in reaction to a lot of meta economic and political forces, are bubbling up as a new piece of that infrastructure. And we think ultimately every city is going to have at least one of these and maybe a bunch of them you know a city like chicago could have a dozen even baltimore if you think of it as more of a hyper localized resource or amenity baltimore could support several of these you know in in a over the next 10 or 20 years um but they're stepping into the breach of a lot of you know, I keep coming back to this, but we're trying to step into all these infrastructural gaps in the in the governmental systems, in the school system, in the community system, in the kind of cultural production system, in the economic system, right? Mm -hmm. If you think of all these meta systems make up a city, well, there's all these gaps where great swaths of Baltimore are being left out of prosperity and opportunity, mm. and we can put our fingers in the holes. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, when we were riding through through uh, Oliver here earlier today, I mean, I saw a lot of, of course, empty buildings and, and all these, but suddenly there came a neighborhood, two or three streets where people seemed to be living, and it seemed to be kind of normal. And then you looked to your right and there was a school. Mm -hmm. And then you went for a little more while, it was kind of all these dilapidated buildings, and then you saw, well, this, not, not something happened. And then you saw the school. Yeah, so yeah. there was sort of the school, schools that were dotted out, and that's where the, the normality was. was. Right. And in between them, there was just you know, seas of, 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 of nothing. Yeah. So. Well, I, perhaps my phrasing was not precise enough. I think for some people, open works and the makerspace experience will supplant school mm. for people that dropped out of school or d it did not serve them at all and through workforce development or other training programs we could still provide these folks with a shot at decent paying employment but for the schools both the secondary schools and the universities we think we can be a great capacity booster. Mm. So the summer programs with after school programs with during the day field trips, all this type of programming, these schools don't have 3D printers. They don't have up-to-date computer labs. They don't have a lot of the facilities we might have. And we can, we can help them come here for a couple hours after school each day. What, you know, we can, uh, there's a lot of existing programs in the city around teaching kids to code, around teaching kids robotics, around so on and so forth. So we could be just a venue or a platform for these activities to take place, you know, and hopefully that helps kids stay motivated, stay involved in school, see the value of school, perhaps find mentors and role models amongst the 
the people in the studio, I mean, you can imagine a lot of knock-on effects. But So there needs to be, I think, better ways to ensure that there's a place for a whole mix and range of people, cultures, and classes. And in a way, to bring it back to here, we think that this is the type of place that can be a melting pot. Maker spaces are not traditionally melting pots. They're, they tend to be a lot of people that look like us, sitting around working on their little robotic projects, a lot of, a lot of middle-aged men, essentially. Um, but given the broad range of workshops and activities and the neighborhoods we sit in, we think this is going to be one of those few places in Baltimore like Lexington Market or the ballpark where you can run into every slice of Baltimore in one place. Mm. Um.